Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is November 12th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues, in about an hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How are you, my friend? Well, I have nine reasons not to be good. <laughs> Do you ever? Wow. I mean, uh, anybody who who figures they can just call any CFL game sure doesn't know what they're talking about. The Alouettes absolutely dominated Toronto. Coincidentally, nine turnovers. And Winnipeg and BC, what the hell happened to your Lions? Well, uh, Vernon Adams Jr. got sacked nine times, so... <laughs> that's uh that's a big part of it right there <laughs> yeah that was amazing and for a, a game that was it was 24 13 was the score for winnipeg and bc um the alouettes was i think 38 21 so they really dominated but yeah. you think if there was even just a, a few less sacks on vernon adams that could have been a closer game and bc kind of handed it to winnipeg yeah i'm not uh i'm not a happy lions fan today <laughs> but uh <laughs> You know, I mean, the Grey Cup's in Edmonton next year, so or sorry, in uh, Vancouver next year. So, uh, so I'm just hoping that BC pulls it off next year, and uh, we have a a pretty awesome Grey Cup with a home team in it. Yeah, well, that would that would be awesome. So the big game is next weekend in Hamilton. Yours truly is going to be there. I'm actually quite excited, and I, uh, well, I was going to be cheering for the Lions, but since they're not going, I. Uh, I can't bring myself to cheer for Winnipeg. Sorry, Trevor. So um, I uh, will either be neutral or, um, well, we'll see how Montreal plays. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, as a Riders fan, how can you cheer for Winnipeg? Exactly, yeah. Especially when uh, there's there's this Facebook page that you and I both follow. Uh, it's called Let's Talk CFL. And really, it should be Let's Trash the Riders because that's a lot of Bomber fans are on that site and they uh, – do an awful lot of smack talking. So uh, they're not making <laughs> any friends here. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And uh, yeah, and it's always, I don't know. I mean, as a CFL fan, I mean, we, we lived through the, uh, through the dominant Alouettes years uh, where they were just railroading the rest of the league for probably a decade. And uh, so, I mean, I, I, you just can't bring yourself to cheer for Montreal either. <laughs> and, yeah. But, but I, uh, I mean, if I was going to that game, which I originally was supposed to, um, uh, I'd be, I'd be cheering for Winnipeg all day long, but uh, I can understand why you can't. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's uh, unfortunately for my love of the CFL, um, my wife and I have decided to go on a holiday. So we, we can't be going to the game this year. Um, but, uh, um, I mean, fortunately though, I'm going away on a holiday with my wife. So, well, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that is definitely the, uh, the better choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But next year we're definitely at gray cup. Yeah. No, can't wait. It's, uh, well, it, it's going to be a great week regardless. Cause we're going for the whole week. So my wife and I are actually making a holiday of the Grey Cup and the festivities. So, um, yeah, can't wait. All right, so a couple other housekeeping notes to, to take care of. 
Number one is we talked about a carbon tax revolt last week. Well, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business has now joined in, polling their membership. 85% of small businesses in Canada have, have said, yep, it's time to scrap the carbon tax. So, uh, well, ball's in your court, Mr. Trudeau. Yeah, I can't believe it's only 85%. Yeah, one out of 100. I don't get that either. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, that's... Yeah, I'm, I'm a little... Well, I mean, I guess there are some liberal, you know, some businesses in this country that actually are being, are run by liberals. So, I can, you know, that's probably what it is more than people who actually like the tax because I don't think there's a business that actually likes the tax. Well, that that's a good point, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I don't believe that anything's going to happen of it. Uh, Trudeau is married to his carbon tax. So this little carve out that has happened is, is all that's going to happen. And yeah, I don't see him giving into any pressure unless uh, there's a complete caucus revolt, but we can talk about that a little later on anyway, because uh, that also won't go anywhere. So um, one last housekeeping note, we talked about the tragedy in Northern Saskatchewan last year when Miles Sanderson went on a stabbing spree and killed 10 people Um or 10 or 11, I can't even remember the numbers now. Anyway, one of those was a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, uh, Earl Burns, who was a member of the extended family. And, well, it, uh, thankfully, it's I guess it's not even the government, but uh, sponsored by the Legion and other nonprofits, there is now a new app. It's called Burnsway, named for Earl Burns. And it's actually an app that's set up for veterans who need to access mental health services. About bloody time, this should have been uh, up and running a decade ago, but I just want to tip my hat and um, let anybody in our audience know who might be a veteran and might be in need of any mental health services. Burns Way is what the app is called. Um, if you need it, check it out. And uh, honestly, after hearing the story of Earl Burns in that tragedy, um, it couldn't have been named after a better guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that, the that it's not the government that, that made it because it would have cost 300 billion dollars and it wouldn't work exactly <laughs> so yeah i'm uh it's it's interesting i mean um i know a few people who are vets that could probably benefit from it so i mean i'll let them know yeah and allegedly from what i was reading that um there's actually a live chat so they can get in directly with uh, a mental health support worker so um oh that's great yeah, so I, I think that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, any vets out there, or if anybody in the audience knows a vet who's in need, uh, direct them to the Burnsway app. All right, Canada. Well, we've got a great show for you today. It's actually been a bit of a slow news week, but it's never slow around here because we keep digging for you. So on the show today, the UK issues a terror alert in Canada. Recession? What recession? more on heat pumps and more where do you want to start sir well let's uh let's start with the heat pumps okay so now we talked about the heat pump announcement that justin trudeau made on october 26th in atlantic canada in nova scotia when he said heat pumps would be free <laughs> um he lied uh it's, 
with well, decided that we do some digging for you. So I went right directly to the Government of Canada website and uh, found out a little bit more about the heat pumps. So now, first off, I got to start with just a little bit of a, a math problem for you, Lewis. I know it's early, but um, yeah. in Canada, if you can do the math in real time with Lewis, that'd be a big help. I mean, I realized I went to school in rural Alberta and I Maybe I got a different math curriculum. Maybe I don't add quite as well as, well, the government here. But this is from the government's website. It states, and I have to quote, there are approximately 610,000 homes in Canada that heat with heating oil. Okay, so remember that's 610,000 Canada. And it breaks it down. It says, of those 610,000 homes, well, approximately... 465,000 are in Quebec, 267,000 in Ontario, 287,000 in Atlantic Canada. Now, I uh, I did the math in my head and I thought, that <laughs> seems to be more than 610,000. Like, I... Uh... <laughs> as soon as you said that... I, I, when you said the second number, I was like, wait, that doesn't add up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. I mean, that's pretty close to a million already. Yeah. And then it says 64% of homes in the territories are also heated with heating oil. So, I oh, said, okay, so another 30,000 to add into the mix, roughly. Yes. So, that's roughly a million. Yeah, so I no, I, I thought to myself, okay, yep, that's roughly a million, so that's a little more than 610,000. But then, of course, I looked at it a, a bit deeper and said, okay, Quebec, Ontario, Atlantic Canada. How do those regions usually vote in federal elections, I asked myself? Wait. Um, God, they, they usually do vote green. Don't, oh, no, no, not green. Oh, right, they tend to vote liberal. So I guess Goody Hutchins was right. Um, if you want these exemptions, maybe you need to elect more liberals. Yep. And it it tends to be uh, more liberal voters up in the north, too. So, uh, yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I mean, not surprising, but interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So... Um... So there's average, now they put on the website, they said the average upfront cost of purchasing and installing a heat pump is 18400 Now, luckily, Canada, we actually have an expert in British Columbia. And Lewis, we can call you an expert because even if you had a limited knowledge of something, you're still knowing more than the experts of the mainstream media puts up. But A, you were a mechanical engineer. Um, B, you actually have a heat pump. So uh, you'll love to follow along with this one. So the average upfront cost to get the heat pump is $18,400. Ah, but you heard Justin Trudeau, the government has your back. They do, absolutely. If you follow the Energide for Homes initiatives, which is actually part of the Greener Homes Grant program, they will offer grants of up to $5,000 for heat pumps. I love to use the expression up to because up to could mean zero, or it could be the max of the 5,000. Well, again, by the government's own numbers, the average grant payout is $3,364. How do you access these grants? Well, you need to have to, to be at below the median income in your region. 
Okay, fair enough. So it's targeted for lower income homes. But the lower income homes have to first pay the government inspector to come to their home to tell them all the things they could do to take advantage of these green initiatives. A coworker of mine did this very thing a couple of years ago. He had to pay that inspector 800 bucks to show up and tell him all the things he could, could do with his house. Once he's been given the green light to uh, from the inspector, he then has to pay to get all this stuff done. So in this case, uh, these homeowners would have to pay for said heat pump and windows and doors if they choose to do them, siding if they choose to do it, before they could access these government grants, which would be in the form of a rebate by that point in time. So if you're paying 18 grand for the heat pump and installation of said heat pump, you're also paying money for the electrical upgrades to your house to power said heat pump. Well, I'm thinking that a lower income family below the median income in their region probably doesn't have, well, the 20 grand or so it would take to get that heat pump before they could see a $3,000 rebate. I'm I'm just I'm just throwing snowballs here. I don't know. Well, that doesn't sound free. It doesn't sound free at all, does it? No. But I mean, here's the thing. Like I was talking to a friend of mine um yesterday and he said that he tried to access the uh the rebate when he got his new heat pump installed. But because he was replacing a heat pump with a new heat pump, a more efficient heat pump, he didn't qualify. Oh, for crying out loud. Because he didn't, because he wasn't uh, replacing heating oil. He was replacing a heat pump. Right. And you have to produce a receipt showing you purchased heating oil in order to qualify. Yeah. So he didn't qualify because of that. So it's, it's like, there's, they, he said, you know, I, like every government program, he said, they, they find, they try, they, they will find a reason not to pay out. Right. Um, so yeah, no, this is definitely not a program that is at all going to be used by low income families or, uh, or lower than average income families. Um, because, I mean, as you know, I mean, we know that Canadians, I think it's what? I think the last time I, I looked, it was over 60% of Canadians uh, don't even have 200 bucks to spend in an emergency. So where are they going to get 18 grand? Oh, but the CMHC is there for you because they have a loan program. But you've still got to shell out the 800 bucks for the government inspector. And yes, you can get up to 600 of that rebated. But as you just said, who has even 200 bucks to, uh, to, uh, you know, use on expendable type of expenses? Well, nobody, not your lower than median income families. So, well, good luck to you. Yeah. This is pretty typical of the, uh, of the Trudeau government. I mean, Remember the last program that they introduced? It was the, uh, the oh, what is it? The dental care program where you actually have to pay up front for the dental care work and then apply for uh, a uh, a rebate or a 
uh, or for, you know, a refund from the government on the dental care work. Well, except that it's only, it only applies to low income families. Well, but what, what low income family can afford to dish out like two, three grand for dental work, uh, before getting the, the rebate. I mean, it's it, like the, it, it's a typical, and I, you know, when they brought out that program, I said, you know, this is this is how a government makes it look like they're doing something without actually doing something, and that's what this program for heat pumps is too. It's another program that makes it look like they're doing something without actually doing something. Uh, so, you know, I I don't see how how this is going to actually be taken advantage of by more than a handful of people. And I don't even know how, you know, someone would apply or not apply, but I don't know how someone would qualify uh, for this rebate if um, if they're able to actually, you know, put the money up to have this done in the first place, because they're probably not going to be lower than median income. Um, so I just don't even see how this is a program that's going to be used at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the way liberals like to work, right? I mean, it's, let's, let's do something without doing something. And that's, that's what this program is. Well, it certainly appears to be that way. I mean, the CMHC, um, did not put, at least not on the government website, what the interest rate might be on said loan. Then you ask yourself, okay, well, if somebody is living below median income, chances are they're not going to qualify for a loan. And of course, it said nothing about the criteria to qualify for the CMHC loan either. So then we uh, drill down a bit more and ask yourself, even if somebody was to somehow find the $800 to pay the government inspector to show up and say, yep, you can get yourself a heat pump, et cetera. And then the person managed to get said loan from the CMHC to purchase the heat pump, um, and I suppose hypothetically also to get whatever kind of power upgrades so they could, you know, power the heat pump without blowing fuses. Ask yourself this question, how much money are they paying in interest and also for the loan itself? And are they actually going to save? Because again, on the government website, it said the average home using heating oil can expect to spend between 2100 and 3000 a year on oil. So I said okay, well let's let's even go to the high side and say that average is $2700. That's 225 a month they're paying for heating oil. So what the government would not say was how much the average electrical bill might go up each month and not to mention the the costs of servicing said loan to get said heat pump. Are they going to save anything? Um, well, Lewis, you're the resident expert. How much did your heating bill or your power bill go up that one month when you were trying to use the heat pump in winter? Oh, I, I can't remember the exact number, but I do remember it was over $600. And that was for, it was, it was a cold, it was a very cold month, but um, my electricity bill was over 600 bucks. So and that was because, you know, I was trying to, use my heat pump to heat my house at like 10 below zero. And I can tell you at 10 below zero, like it, it's not a, 
it's not a nice heat like a comfortable heat it's it's uh there is a difference in in how the air feels when it comes off a heat pump and when it comes from a gas-fired furnace the there's still like this almost like a chill in the air even though it, you know your your thermostat says it's 21 degrees in your house it doesn't it, it feels like a like it feels a little chilly even though it is 21 um and the heat pump is working like a dog to heat the air at that temperature too and uh so i mean what i did was i actually set the the uh, switch over to five degrees celsius uh because anything under five degrees heating with a heat pump actually gets very expensive so i i switched it to uh so that at five degrees celsius it would switch over to natural gas and it would use natural gas to heat the house uh below five degrees and the difference was uh enormous i mean like the heating costs got slashed by at least 50 percent so i mean there's there's uh and it's a nicer a nicer heat too by the way but uh but still i mean like the just the cost alone um natural gas has got it all over electric like electric heating so um yeah i'm not I mean, even when I was in uh, engineering, I mean, it, it was one of the things that we tried to avoid was using a heat pump as a sole heating source. Uh, because I mean, even even if you even if heat pumps, I mean, like you can get you can get uh, cold you know heating kits for your heat pumps that bring the the operating temperature, uh, the outside temperature down. I believe it's to minus 29 or minus 30 Celsius where the heat pump will work all the way down to that temperature. But beyond that, which, you know, a lot of places in this country get well, well colder than minus 30. Uh, it, they don't work like they physically don't work at lower than minus 30. So if you live in Edmonton and it gets to 45 below zero in January or February, uh, good luck because that heat pump won't actually work. It doesn't work below minus 30. So good luck. Yeah. Well, and actually, I'm glad you brought that up that uh, you tripped my memory on uh, on something else here. But yeah, um, there, was, there was talk about a cold climate uh, heat pump, which I think is what you were just referring to, which is which apparently taps into geothermal. But, well, there's one thing about geothermal energy. I sure as heck can't drill a, a hole down to the core of the earth in my backyard in Saskatoon. And you can't do it in Toronto. You can't do it in Quebec City. So, well, I, that's I, not that's not accurate. But uh, I'll, I'll get into that. So, geothermal holes uh, only have to go down as far as they need to go down to get... Uh, some a, a certain temperature in the in the dirt so um at most you're looking at probably a 40 50 foot hole um and it's only a couple of inches wide right like they're like they're only a few inches wide so it's not that hard to drill holes for okay uh for geothermal 
Um, the the problem is is that geothermal holes don't always last. Uh, sometimes they they fail, and your uh, your your refrigerant just leaks out into the soil because the pipe broke or something like that. Uh, geothermal actually works really really well if you're if you never lose a hole. Um, but the problem is, is that you could be, you know, $10,000 a hole and you need, you know, several holes to do your average, you know, a decent sized house. And so, and in places like, you know, uh, Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg, you know, Saskatoon, where it gets really cold in the winter and you need, like, I know when I, I lived in Edmonton, like to get below frost depth for your foundation for your house, you needed to be down, um, you know, at least I think it was six feet, six to eight feet. You have to be down with your foundation. Well, so in places like that, like your your boreholes for for geothermal have to be deeper uh, than in places like where I live, uh, where the frost depth is, eight, uh, I think it's twenty four inches here. So your holes do have to be deeper in places like Edmonton or Winnipeg uh, or, you know, Quebec city or whatever, like the, your, your boreholes will have to be deeper, but they, but you don't have to go down as deep as some people are thinking. Like you don't have to go down a thousand feet or anything like that. It's, you know, a couple hundred at, at most, depending on what the, the composition of the dirt of, of the ground is that you're drilling through. Um, like if you're drilling through solid rock, well, you're gonna have to go a lot deeper. But if you're if you're drilling through, you know, it, it just depends on what the ground is made up of that you're drilling through, and you have to get certain results from tests for uh, ground temperature. Uh, so it's not that you don't have to go very deep. Uh, there's also different types of geothermal. Like if you live on an acreage, you can actually do horizontal. Uh, uh, geothermal so that you're not going straight down with holes. You actually, you know, dig a, uh, you can dig trenches and then lay the pipes in the ground, uh, horizontally. Um, and a lot of, uh, like they just did that at the, at the middle school in the town where I live and they just filled up the playing field with, with geothermal pipes, um, on a, on the horizontal. So there's there's many different ways of doing this, and and geothermal actually works a lot better in the cold than it than say an air to air heat pump. Uh, and the heat pumps that we're talking about are air to air heat pumps. We're not talking about um, water to air, uh, which is what geothermal is is water to air. Um, so I mean there's. There are different types of geo like uh, heat pump systems. Geothermal heat pumps work really well, but they cost way more than an air-to-air -air heat pump. And I'm sure that this uh, program, even if it did apply, even if it does apply to water-to-air heat pumps, they're certainly not going to. Uh, no, no, you know, low-income family is ever going to be able to afford that.
No, you're absolutely right. And it didn't actually, it did talk about them. It did not talk about them qualifying for the, for the, the grant. So I'm going to guess that means no. And also anybody who wants to buy home insurance. Well, if you heat your home primarily with a heat pump, you have to have a backup source for heat or you can't get insurance. So now if your backup is home heating oil, are you, again, are you going to save anything? Well, Probably not. So, as you said, Lewis, yet more window dressing from the federal government. Yeah, it's it, it, it. The government has a tendency, especially the Trudeau government, to just pretend to do things to look good and not actually do anything of value. And that's something that they, they they've actually gotten quite good at. Sadly, you're right. I mean, uh, think back. This was a couple of years ago when they introduced the uh, the low income rental supplement and we talked about it at that time where they would get a a one-time $500 top up to help with the increasing cost of rent but only if you made less than $38,000 a year which you pointed out was minimum wage so uh yep yet again one more program where you can't actually benefit from it but we're going to pretend we're doing something for you yep exactly all right well speaking of doing nothing for Canadians you rocked my world when you told me that the uk issued a uh, a travel advisory for canada yeah um don't ever say i rock your world shook my world <laughs> <laughs> people might get the wrong impression tony um that's true <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah so uh the united kingdom has issued a travel advisory to uh not you know for canada because they say that a, a, a terrorist attack in Canada is imminent. And I can't say that they're wrong. I'm shocked and disappointed to hear that. And to get to the level where it's actually a travel advisory from, well, one of our Five Eyes allies and, well, um, you know, a fellow partner in the British Commonwealth. That's like, okay, wow, they obviously know something that we don't. Well, until now, because the RCMP, as, as it turns out, has admitted through the uh, NSACOP committee. Now, that is something we've talked about before. That is the National Security Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. And in the committee, they discovered that the RCMP actually has shed 600 federal policing jobs to focus on the contract policing, which is you know, the, uh, the rural RCMP or what you see in the in, in the east or in Vancouver, certain uh, boroughs of Vancouver have the RCMP. Those are the contract policing positions. And they said they just don't have the resources to focus on federal policing. And they have had to admit that the RCMP is actually incapable of doing the investigation of potential terror threats to protect our country before they happen. Oh, fantastic. Isn't it, though? Oh my god. Um so it's kind of funny that the Brits are advising against um travel to Canada because of a possible terrorist attack uh when they're having the exact same problems we're having. <laughs> um I mean there's there's a a, a very troubling rise in anti-semitism across Canada. 
across the United States, across the UK, across Europe. It's uh, it's very troubling. And I'm going to say the media is very complicit in this. Uh, they are really doing their best to paint Israel as the as as the the bad guy in this situation in uh, with Gaza. When it was Israel that was attacked, it was Israelis that were murdered at music festivals and in their homes and in their beds. It was Israeli babies that were cooked alive in ovens. It was Israeli. It was Israelis that were the on the receiving end of a of a major terrorist attack, and the culprits were Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, and virtually every government in the world has them listed as a terrorist organization, including Canada. And it is Hamas that is the government in uh, in the Gaza. It is a terrorist organization. And yet the media is believing the information that Hamas is releasing regarding attacks, bombings, the death count, Um including when Hamas said that one of their hospitals got bombed by an Israeli missile and killed 500 people and they knew they knew the they knew the dead the death count was 500 within minutes of this explosion which by the way is impossible to know and usually takes weeks of investigating before you know the death count. Um, it turns out that it was a Palestinian Authority missile or rocket that failed and landed in the parking lot next to the hospital, did not destroy the hospital, killed maybe a handful of people. We talked about this on the on the show a few weeks back. Yet the media ran with whatever Hamas has been telling them. And yeah. the, the same media is treating the information coming out of Israel as suspect, but pr just reprinting whatever Hamas says. So the media in the, the Western media around the world is complicit in the rise of anti-Semitism across the world, as far as I'm concerned. Well, and it's hard to argue that case. I mean, you uh, you see it with with your own eyes. You see the the protests going on even right here in Canada that are they're they're chanting from the river to the sea. And you've got these young Gen Z people who have no idea what they're talking about and probably didn't even learn about the Holocaust or how relations actually are in the Middle East and. They don't understand that from the river to the sea isn't just a cool slogan. It means they want to push Israel from the Jordan River into the Mediterranean Sea, which means no more Israel. AKA yeah. Kill all the Jews. Yeah, it's see what really irritates me is how the media and how uh, 
Israeli Israel's critics are calling what Israel is doing as a genocide. There is no genocidal activity happening on behalf of Israel right now. They are attacking Hamas. Yes, civilians are getting caught in the crossfire, but that is because of Hamas. Hamas is using human shields. They are putting their they've put their headquarters underneath hospitals, underneath uh, schools. Um, Israel has been telling everybody to get out. Hamas has been preventing them from getting out. Um, any civilian deaths is on Hamas. Yes, I would like to see Israel be, you know, do everything they can to not kill civilians. And they are uh, doing a lot to not kill civilians. But Hamas, for, for anybody to say that Israel is committing genocide, they don't know what the word genocide means. Okay, because Hamas actually has in their, um, I don't know what you would call it, not a constitution, but in their, in their, um, in their creed. Yeah, in their creed that, that their goal, one of their primary goals is to wipe Israel off the map and to kill every Jew. I mean, that's a genocide. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, this is the media's portrayal of what is going on is is a big part of what is happening across Canada, across the U.S., U.K., the U Europe, with the rise of anti-Semitism. I mean, I never in my life thought that I would see in Berlin people chanting "Gas the Jews again." Yeah, well, and Dave and, made a really good point. He said if if Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. They really suck at it because the population in Gaza has increased fivefold since uh, since the the Palestinians were moved to Gaza and the Israelis left. So he said, so they're doing it backwards. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at it, like 20 percent of Israel's population is Arab, but zero percent of Palestine's population is Jewish. Because they killed every Jew that was there that didn't get evacuated when the state of Israel was created. So, like you, if you go into Palestine as a Jew, like you, you will be killed. Like that's just the way it is. Um, Israel has issued work permits for people in Gaza to come over to Israel to work. Uh, they've got, you know, like I said, twenty percent of the population of Israel is Palestinian or Arab. Um, They've got Arabs in their government. They've got, you know, Arabs in their judicial system. You know, Israel is doing a really terrible job of genocide if that's if that's what they're doing because, you know, they're. <laughs> I mean, it, you'd think it would be fairly easy to to kill them all off if they wanted to. They outnumber them quite badly, but they uh, but they haven't. Um, but but Hamas, the Palestinian Authority, Hezbollah that kind of surround Israel like Israel is surrounded by 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 organizations terrorist groups who are also the governments of the neighboring countries who want to kill them all like i don't think people understand what that's like i mean imagine living where you're living 
and then all the towns around you because you know the israel is not a very big place but like say you live in red deer well calgary and edmonton want to kill you medicine hat wants to kill you uh rocky mountain house well okay i mean that's not a threat but rocky mountain house wants to kill you like all of those communities they want to kill you and they keep trying they keep launching missile or rockets into your into red deer to try and take you out they they send in you know suicide bombers they you know and then one day people come flying in and start hacking people up in in downtown red deer at the mall you know like like that's what the situation is like it's exactly what it is like everybody around israel wants to kill israel yep exactly and uh so to bring it back into north american uh perspective here finally justin trudeau spoke up and said that you know this is not who we are as canadians and you know this has to stop and he did not equate it with islamophobia for once which is great because a phobia is an irrational fear of and i don't know how many people in this country have an irrational fear of islam but setting that aside thank you justin trudeau for finally doing the right thing and stepping up and condemning the rise in anti-semitism i mean uh there was shootings at the, at the school door on jewish schools in montreal fire bombings and jewish uh community settlements like uh apartment complexes etc in montreal and then you had pointed out just before the show started that there was more uh, shots fired at these schools overnight just last night so yeah. it's about time justin trudeau said something so thank you but that genie's out of the bottle. Yeah, it's a little late. Um, and no, it's not better late than never. It's it's this is way too late. You might as well have not not condemned it at all because your silence or his silence, I should say. I'm not speaking directly to him, but uh, but his silence on this matter over the past month or six weeks even now is uh, it was deafening. I mean we've got he he's put he declared um or he he enacted the emergencies act against peaceful and it was peaceful it was actually peaceful protesting on parliament hill uh by truckers um but with this like the the protesting has been um calling for violence has been very anti-Semitic. Um, you know, people chanting that the Jews must die or gas the Jews or um, from the river to the sea, which we all know from the river to the sea is not, like you said, a cool just a cool slogan. It's it's uh, it's actually a call for genocide against Israel. Um, and because of this, like you said. Like there's already, you know, anti-Jewish terrorism happening in Montreal. And, uh, but stuff has been creeping up across the country. And the stuff I'm seeing online, like on Twitter or X, 
um, and on Facebook is just shocking to be quite honest that it's coming out of it's coming from people that I used to somewhat respect um, I no longer do uh, you're seeing this across Europe and, and the US and I, I mean it's and it's infecting people that would surprise some of you <laughs> it's it's uh it's quite disturbing um and i don't know how this is going to end it's it's very uh very troubling well you could actually make a case for the emergencies act now that you bring that up because they they did invoke the emergencies act in ottawa and it was based on an ottawa protest and they also, you know, justified it with the border blockades at Windsor and Coots, which had already been broken up by the time the act was invoked. And we've talked about that many, many times. But this is literally all across the country. There's protests in Vancouver, Toronto, Edmonton, um, London, Montreal. I mean, there is literally all across this country. So if this isn't a national emergency, then how the hell could a protest in one city have been a national emergency. Yeah. And I mean, I've also been seeing, um, I, I read this article. I can't remember where, where it was from, but uh, where they said that they, that there are Palestinian or Hamas uh, terror cells in Canada. And they're just waiting for the word to 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 go ahead. Um, these terror groups appear, are in um, in the U.S. and across Europe as well. Uh, that they've they've been exporting them for years, and uh, and they're just waiting. They're just waiting for the word. And so this is scary. It's actually really scary. What's going on right now? Well, it is. And we had talked before the show, the question I wanted to ask is, well, it's not even a matter of when it's going to happen because it's going to happen. But my question was, where do we think the first terror attack in Canada will happen? But I think we answered that question already. Yeah. And yeah, it was Montreal. And I mean, that's kind of not surprising because um, that's typically where things happen in Canada is in Quebec. But um but yeah, I mean that's that's I think we're seeing the first one already, but I mean it's pretty minor compared to what could happen. But still shooting up a school is not I mean I, I guess minor is something I, not a word I should have used, but um it's it's not as it, it it could it could get a lot worse is what I'm saying. Um like it, it, it could happen during the day when there's kids in the school um it could it could be a suicide bomber it could be you know something where people actually get killed and it's and it's not good it's it's really bad this is this is something that's um like i said i think the media is complicit in that um i think our government was complicit in it by not standing up sooner um and uh and it's it's pretty um pretty terrifying that uh people across this country are being infected with this with this uh philosophy that 
Israel is evil. Yeah, well, it's actually the point where there are Jewish people in Canada who are Canadian citizens, born and raised here, who are now saying maybe it's time to for us to move to Israel because they would feel safer there than they feel here. And that's happening. Well, that's ridiculous. It is. Because, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, to be honest. Isn't it, though? Yeah, that would be like saying, hey, let's, uh, you know, as a, I don't know, let's just move into a war zone because I'll feel safer there than than here. Yeah, okay, whatever. That's a stupid thing to say. That's really stupid. But It is. Yeah, but, uh, but I mean, I, I'm seeing Jews like in Canada who are saying that Israel's at fault. Like that's how bad it's getting is that there's actually Jews saying that, that the bad guys are Jews. Wow. I mean, they're not, they're more cultural Jews, not, not, uh, not religious Jews. Right. But, but still it's like, it, it's crazy what's going on. I, I I don't know what, I don't know where this goes. I mean, there's a lot of, the thing is, is that this is all happening when we're also experiencing, um, the beginnings of a recession we're experiencing uh high inflation rates and interest rates and unaffordability you know we're experiencing uh economy that's faltering we're you know all of this is happening all at the same time and people need to find something to be angry about and i think that this is what people are choosing to be angry about well that could be yeah so uh, one more brief little note in the on the terrorism front, and then actually we'll talk about the this this economy. And there is a United States based uh, Sikh activist who has well, he's got people in Canada a little concerned. He's suggesting that no one should fly Air India on November nineteenth because there is a well, I guess it's not just a boycott thing, but he just said that he advised all six not to fly Air India on November 19th, and then also suggested a global boycott of Air India on that day. Now, why the 19th is important is the day of the final of the World Cricket Championships, which are being hosted in India this year. And this gentleman is a Khalistani separatist. He's organized some of these uh, referendums, I use the air quotes on that, on Sikh independence in Punjab, and including the, the one that was recently held in Surrey. And it's important to Canada because Canada actually holds the world's second largest Punjabi population behind India. So if this gentleman is taken seriously, and I don't really know if he will be, but it's still, uh, I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the Air India bombing, which is to date the worst, uh, most catastrophic terror incident involving canada and i don't want to repeat no and i mean I, i'm i'm thinking that if someone is who's in the know like that is saying to uh you know don't travel air india on that day i think i would you know probably take uh take heed of his comments and uh and not travel with air india on that day but uh I, I would be definitely, if I was in the intelligence industry, like if I was part of CSIS or the RCMP or the Canadian Armed Forces, I'd be asking this guy why he uh, is saying this. Yep, absolutely.
All right. So you had uh, teased out talking about recession. And apparently the Bank of Canada has finally agreed with what we've been saying for quite some time. Well, what do you know? We're officially in a recession after two quarters of stagnant growth. The Canadian economy has actually shrunk slightly. I can't remember the percentage. It's very minuscule. But they officially are now saying, yep, Canada's in a recession. And well, what do you know? 46 or sorry, small business insolvencies are up 46% in this last quarter over what they were a year ago in the third quarter. Um, well, yeah, that, that's a pretty good indicator that we're in a recession. Yeah, and uh, the and the government's insistence that the SIBA loans get paid back this this fall is not helping. Um, a lot of businesses are. Uh, I don't know where the government thought that businesses were going to be able to just come up with you know forty thousand dollars to pay back um, that quickly. It's not that easy. I mean, I own a small business. It's not that easy to come up with that kind of money. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and BC Premier David Eby, and uh, he wrote a letter to the to Trudeau uh, a lot and had all the other premiers in the country sign it, asking for an extension on that SIBA loan. Um, we've heard nothing from the government about it, so I'm assuming that it's not going to happen. So what has happened is the banks have decided to step in and offer loans to help you pay back your SIBA loan um, at 10% interest. So uh, they've, it's almost like this is a, um, I don't want to say conspiracy, uh, but it sure feels like one. And, um, but yes, I mean, we've been saying that the that the, the the economy has been uh, either about to go into a recession or has been stagnant for quite some time. I think we were talking about this uh, about a year ago, maybe a little longer. Um, that the recession, I, I think, I believe I talked about it last fall, where I said that the government or that the uh, economy was already either in recession or or starting to be in a recession. Um, if you look at the economic data you know i'm kind of justified in what i was saying over a year ago we weren't in a recession yet but we were definitely slowing down and it, and it had slowed down quite substantially by the point where i was talking about it on the show um so it may not have been in a recession yet but it sure was feeling like one um and then we've had they have we had two quarters and that was the two first quarters of this of this year that the economy was stagnant it was not growing it was not shrinking it was kind of just staying where it was it wasn't and and now we've had like actual um uh an actual receding of the uh of the economy so it's and and i mean when how long ago how long ago was i talking about hyperinflation and a stagnant economy. Um, I would say that it was probably uh, three years ago or more yep. that, that that's what the next recession was going to look like in Canada was that it was going to be a stagnant economy with hyperinflation. Well, look at what we've got. Yep. Yeah. And uh, now two thirds of the Canadian economy, by the way, 
or two thirds of the Canadian GDP is consumer spending. So now consumers don't have any money. And so now that leads to an economic slowdown. The Bank of Canada itself said 2.2 million Canadian mortgages will be coming up for renewal over the next two years with higher interest rates. I mean, uh, we just a month ago, two months ago, renewed our mortgage at six and a quarter percent, which was a little more than double what we uh, our previous rate was. And now I don't, I don't I don't see a mortgage rate below seven and a quarter. So I guess we got lucky, as it were. But. Yeah, when 2.2 more million more mortgages are going to be coming up for renewal and they're going to be more than double the interest rate that they were, well, that's a bad sign. And, well, one in three Canadians right now, um, well, one in three Canadian households, I should say, are reporting they're in financial distress. 50% of Canadians or 60% of Canadians don't have 500 bucks to uh, at their disposal. And if they needed to have 500 bucks for whatever emergency, they'd have to sell something or borrow the money. That was uh, what the pollsters have told us. 57% of Canadians are less than 200 bucks away from not being able to pay their bills every month. And you wonder why there's no money for consumer spending? Yeah, it's, uh, and, and I mean, it's not just happening here. It's happening all over the Western world, at least. I mean, I mean, the U.S. is in bad shape. The U.S. government, the, the their credit rating was just downgraded by Moody's from stable to negative. Oh, and and that's because the U.S. government is just blowing out spending. Like they're spending money, it, it's not stopping. They're just sending aid package after aid package to Ukraine and to Israel, and 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 they're they're just printing money like crazy. There, it, it's almost like it hasn't. Like they haven't slowed down on the printing of money since COVID. And I mean, they're just blowing out the spending and that's not good for the U S it's not good for the rest of the world because the U S dollar is the, uh, that, that is the, uh, the world currency. Like that's what everybody trades in is U S dollars. And if, and if they, if the U S goes off, a cliff here with with the value of their dollar because of how much they're spending um this is bad for everyone it's bad for everyone on this planet if the u.s dollar collapses and uh and when you've got you know the credit rating companies like moody's saying that they got to do something to stop this because it's gone from stable to negative um you know somebody needs to take heed of their advice somebody needs to stop what's happening because you know it's almost like it's intentional at this point and it's uh and it's scary because i mean here in canada it's bad but i mean it's uh no matter who gets elected after trudeau whether it's polyev or not i mean polyev won't be able to stop anything if the u.s is in trouble like that's it won't matter who we've got in power well that's true but i'm glad you mentioned it being intentional because yet again the government has your back and they've done their part in making certain canadians have no money well we uh we talked about this earlier in the week you and i that well 
Anita Anand and company spent $670,000 to hire KPMG, a consulting firm, to consult the government on how to spend less money on consultants. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Oh, that's fantastic. We have to burn in more taxpayer dollars. If it wasn't, if it wasn't that, if it wasn't so maddening, it would be hilarious. Like it, it it's just, how do you spend $670,000 to, to figure out how not to spend that $670,000? Yep. Like this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Oh, you're going to hire a consultant to consult you on how not to spend money on consultants. <laughs> well, here's, here's an idea. Just don't spend money on consultants. Yeah, well, the use of consultants has gone up 80% um, since Justin Trudeau became prime minister. And in the, the last year alone, the fiscal year of 2022-2023, billion dollars on consultants. Well, that could have built 15 hospitals. Thanks very much. God, that's disgusting. It is disgusting. And it's, I mean, it's almost like a let them eat cake moment when they decide that, oh yeah, well, we're going to just throw another three quarters of a, of a million dollars to hire a consultant to tell us not to use consultants. Like that's uh, like you're right. If it wasn't so infuriating, it would be laughable. But I, I just, yeah, I don't, I just don't know what to do at this point. I mean, it's ah, uh, uh, well, I'm gonna help you get even angrier because what do we always say on this show? But wait, there's there's more. A whistleblower just came up from the sustainable development. Um, what is this? Sustainable Development, Sustainable Development Technology Canada. That's what it's called. The Sustainable, the Sustainable Development Technology Canada Fund is a fund that is doles out taxpayer dollars to different clean tech firms in the country to, of course, support the green agenda. They've got a billion-dollar budget and a five-year plan to disperse this money around the, the country. Well, a whistleblower just uh, recently came forward managed to record a conversation he had with one of the, the board members of Sustainable Development Technology Canada and said, well, he said, quote, there's a lot of sloppiness and laziness in regards to the money being distributed. It was free money, quote, that is almost sponsorship scandal level of giveaway. It was like a slush fund, end quote. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw this. Yeah, this is, it, it's it's really disturbing because, it, you know, it's the whole, we, what we've been talking about since the beginning of this show. Like, since we started this show many years ago, we've been talking about the lack of, of respect for the taxpayer dollar. And that's all this is. This is a lack of respect for the taxpayer's dollars. It's a lack of respect for taxpayers. And and it's a... a uh, an entitlement. That's exactly what it is, because you're going to love this one, Canada. The board of directors of Sustainable Development Tech Canada investigated themselves when this recording was released, and they found 
they've done nothing wrong. And there is no need to replace the board members who are throwing the money around to, well, wherever, if it's if it's sponsorship scandal level of money, money is probably going to uh, liberal friendly tech firms for all we know, because we don't know where it's going. But yep, nope, they've done nothing wrong. Nothing to see here. We don't need to replace ourselves because oh, we've I'm investigated so... ourselves. Oh, I'm so glad they investigated themselves. I was worried. I was concerned they would bring in the RCMP who are too busy to investigate. So, uh, yeah, it's a good thing they investigated themselves. Yeah, I was so worried that they'd done something wrong, but I was wrong. They, they've they've discovered they haven't. So uh, I just take them at their word. Uh, maybe we yeah. should give them another billion dollars just to make up for the shortfalls. We should. I mean, why why wouldn't we? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, they can buy some heat pumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing I saw on X that was to remind, had to remind me is, is uh, there was somebody on X that after this heat pump announcement came out and said, how long does it is it going to take before we see a liberal party friendly uh, heat pump firm get a contract for heat pumps? And this sustainable development thing just made me think of that. Like, yeah, there's bound to be another Frank Bayless out there. Um, Frank Bayless, just as a reminder, was the former Liberal MP in Montreal who started up a company to supply ventilators for COVID, got a $273 million contract and supplied zero ventilators. Yep. And what happened to the money? <laughs> who knows? He got to keep it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> He never had to pay it back. It's yep. unbelievable. Like, I don't know why this level of corruption is is so ingrained in liberals. It really you is. You know, it, it always seems to happen with liberals. Like Jean Chrétien. I mean, the sponsorship, that was a sponsorship scandal. I mean, just millions of dollars. Uh, you know, this this is probably the most corruption I've ever seen. Well, not probably. It is the most corruption we've ever seen in a Canadian government, and it, and it's been constant since day one. And and but it's it's like, but we're we're talking about not just millions of dollars. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. We're talking billions of dollars between WeChat, Richard Bayless. Uh, it or not WeChat, We Charity, uh, between We Charity, which was I think nine hundred million dollars or something. Uh, Richard Bayless was over two hundred and seventy million dollars. Uh, there, it's just hundreds of millions of dollars every time there's a scandal. Yep, and that, my friends. Is why is how Justin Trudeau keeps his job. That is why there will be no caucus revolt because Justin Trudeau and Katie Telford know exactly who has been benefiting from all this money. So, yeah. in case you're wondering why the Liberal Party is still united, it's not just because they all hate Pierre Poilievre, which is probably true, but they uh, they also um, don't want their name being the one that comes out in the news. Yeah. 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 It's sad, Canada, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up on that. I mean, it's uh, this country is broken. It is just broken, and what? I don't even know how to fix it anymore. 
No, I don't either. I mean, short of a complete teardown and rebuild. And how do you do that? I mean, you because the only way to do that is to, uh, you know, elect a party that is willing to do it. And there is nobody willing to do it. Yeah, I mean, we had interviewed Maxime Bernier. He actually committed on this show that, yeah, I mean, we have to tear it all down, fire everybody and start again. But yeah. And I love Maxime Bernier, but I know that he's got no chance of becoming prime minister, at least not in this next election. So, No, and that's, you know, it is unfortunate because the media and the opposition, his opposition parties, have uh, have done a really good job of painting him as an extremist and uh, a racist and a xenophobe and all that kind of all those all those you know buzzwords. Um, and unfortunately, the majority of Canadians believe what has been said about him. Um, we've had him on the show a number of times, and our listeners know from listening to him that he's none of those things. Um, that he's just common sense. And, and honestly, I mean, if, if I, if I look at things objectively, which I always do, but if I'm looking at things objectively, there's only one party in this country that actually reflects everything that I believe in. And that's, and that's the PPC with Maxime Bernier, but I know he has no chance of winning. You know, he has no chance of winning. So I can't vote that way. Because I need to get the liberals out, and unfortunately, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Pierre Polyev is, is uh, going to be a hell of a lot better than, than anything that we've had recently, especially Justin Trudeau. Yep. Um, do I think that Pierre Polyev is going to be even as good as Stephen Harper? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, it all depends on how many promises he keeps. I mean, if he if he keeps his word on on firearms, if he keeps his word on, you know, uh, balancing the budget and 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 cutting taxes and all those kinds of things, then then, hey, he could he could be one of the best prime ministers that we've had. But, you know, there's a few things that I don't like about him. Like, I don't like the fact that, you know, we have been for, you know, eight years now talking about how Justin Trudeau's never had a real job. Well, neither is, neither has Pierre Polyev. Pierre Polyev has been in government since he was like a kid. Um, whether he was a staffer or elected, he was, he's been in government ever since he was like 18 years old. So, I mean, this is, this is, uh, you know, we're, we're electing someone who's never had a real job either. Um, so that I don't like. Um, I don't like the fact that he talks in the third person a lot of the time. I mean, that, that's, that, that, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's just, that, that disturbs me. It disturbed me that he, that he talks about himself in the third person. Yeah, like, I hadn't thought of that, because, but you're right. <laughs> because narcissists talk about themselves in the third person. So that bothers me. There's a few things that bother me about Pierre Poiliev, but he is, a million times better than what we have right now. Yep, absolutely right. So, all right, Canada. Well, that's going to be it for this week. So uh, we do want to thank you so much for joining us. And until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC, not watching my BC Lions next week. <laughs>
All right. Good night, Canada. Good night. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony.